0: It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie. idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away?
1: Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cbock.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everybody.
2: Uh, Good morning to you if you're here in North America uh, or good afternoon if you're on the East Coast. And whatever time of day it is, wherever you're listening to or if you're listening to the uh, recording of this event, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you here. This is, of course, uh, the Seabok. A weekly broadcast as we talk to ios and other people who work in the people industry in the business community and uh, dr jeremy lukaba is with us of course uh, sarah smith barry should be with us shortly and thank you to everyone who showed up today uh, today we're going to have a panel an open mic discussion so if you would like to become part of the discussion just raise your hand and we'll bring you on stage and today we're going to be talking about high versus low stake situations how to use psychometric tests for the workplace uh well jeremy <laughs> uh, let's start there because uh, you know sarah is really got the in-depth information on psychometric testing but i'm sure you have some experience as well so for someone like me and i could be the only person here today who doesn't actually know what psychometric testing is do you want to give us sort of a, a background on, on what it is how it can be used, and then do you think it's effective?
1: Yeah, yeah, so let's do this a little bit backwards today. Um, I've gotta leave a little early today, around 20, 25 after, so I'm gonna do the closing now. So I wanna mention that our next next week's event is on uh, February 10th, next Thursday, is how to handle gossip in the workplace, and we'll even get into how gossip can be good, 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 good and gooder in the workplace. and if you're an io so i'll I'll say this if you're an io that's mid-career uh early career or still an io student jump over to seabuck.com. there's currently a waiting list for membership but get on that waiting list for ios we've got some great services in terms of brand building in terms of um, the job hunt in terms of professional development and all kinds of great things and of course if you're an organization looking to get paired with an io psychologist to work with your organization go ahead and get in in touch with us there as well. So Tom, in terms of, you know, what are psychometric tests in the workplace? So we, it's interesting because I, as IOs, we play this kind of half, many of us play half a data scientist role and then half an applied practitioner role and what these tests are. First off, and this is why it's high versus low stakes situation, because there are some tests that are out there that are okay for team development, for low stake situations like professional development. And what we, what we wanna do is we wanna make sure, because for those in HR, keep the company out of court. So for high stake situations especially, you've gotta have assessments that can hold uh, up uh, to legal battles, right? Hold their, hold, hold their own, own water. And that generally comes down to the psychometric properties of the assessment, the reliability, the norming group, the validity, um, all kinds of, of, of different um, statistical aspects of that of that test and making sure that, you know, um, even in terms of inter reliability and, and taking, being able to bracket biases. And then also, who's, who's providing the assessment? Is it somebody who took a crash course? Is it someone who's certified? Is it someone who is not certified but held, holds a master's degree? Or a PhD in one of the sciences necessary, like psychology, to administer the assessments. There's really a ton to talk about today because part of it is understanding what type of assessment to use when. And really, I think the the, the fun or the debate comes when we start talking about like your discs and your Big Five and those kinds of things because there's tons of IOs that are so on the line of you know, don't ever use DISC, don't ever use Big Five, because you're putting people into brackets, you rarely get people that are qualified to, to do these kinds of things. Sometimes you can do more harm than good, especially when you're talking about intact teams where conflict can occur. And I'll share my own uh, opinion on that. I will, uh, I will um, invite, of course, so this is an open mic, and anyone is, completely welcome to come up ask a question please use the chat and as much as you can raise your hand uh very open mic and formal we like to you know always increase that community and belonging here so please let the questions fly let the opinions fly let the perspectives fly and Tom's a good moderator, so if any one of us start throwing punches in terms of which test to use or which not, Tom will come in here and, uh, and break it up. He'll break it up. So, Tom, back over to you. I see someone's got a hand raised.
2: Well, ding, ding, the battle begins. Amanda Ray, start us off.
3: It's not so much of a battle, but just more of a, from a statistical perspective, that the Big Five has got, um, when you reverse score the narcissism scale, um, there's a positive, uh intercorrelation correlation rating with all of the other scales. So there has been some uh, individuals that I've worked with that they won't use that because there is not much of a factor loading difference when you reverse score that uh, because they are all so interrelated. Um, and the other thing that I think people need to keep in mind, because there was a uh, you're always going to have your naysayers out there. And if you're ever going to use any instrument, you need to be well-versed in what the naysayers are to be able to acknowledge that. Um, for instance, when, cause I'm certified for the Myers-Briggs and I know that it is for a very specific purpose and a very specific purpose only. Um, there's been others that have been certified that have used it for other desired purposes, which the company does not, support um, and it's even had this documentary that's on hpo max that covered it um i'm forgetting what it's called but it it really dug at the assessment itself but you need to keep in mind as practitioners that you're aligning the assessment with its um yep thank you uh persona um you want to make certain that you're staying within the limitations and not exceeding the limitations because those that went outside of the limitations they're no longer allowed to use the instrument they have been kicked out of there. My big thing is the when I tell clients is that this is not a be-all end-all instrument. It's to help provide a common language to talk about individual differences in a very practical manner. Where Because a lot of folks I work with, they don't like what they call psychobabble. So try to take the psychobabble out of it and just, hey, from a practicality standpoint, when you're in a meeting and you're talking about introversion, extroversion, If you want to get folks engaged, send an agenda out in advance for the introverts in the room. If you want to have them engaged after the meeting, send notes out after the fact and let them come back around because they both act differently. Introverts are reflect, act, reflect versus extroverts are act, reflect, act because they have more acting versus reflecting because they learn best by doing. So it's just something to keep in mind as it relates to just the use of them because everything's got its limitations.
2: So it's fair to say, Amanda Ray, that it's it's not really about the numbers; it's about what you do with them and how you interpret them.
3: Yeah, yeah, because they have because there's a quote unquote scale in the Myers Briggs assessment, um, and people often think that that's a weight of how strong they are one in one way or the other. But we all have them; we use all of them. Some of us just gain better access to certain preference types because we have an innate disposition, like right handed or left handedness, dominance. Um, but that skill is often misinterpreted by the lay folks of that. This is a skill, but it's actually a scale of clarity based upon how consistent you answered the questions, leaning one way or the other.
2: All right. But, but Jeremy, you know, I, I can take as, (laughs) as a speech writer, give me some statistics and I can prove anything both on the positive and on the negative side of an argument so the, the the numbers with statistics are almost I- irrelevant and it really comes down to how you want to interpret it and how skilled you are at crafting a speech or presentation for a client. But let me ask you with these psychometric numbers, you know, once again, does it depend on who's interpreting these numbers and how skilled they are? And doesn't that require that you have experience? But then we get into this, you know, how do you get experience without the opportunity?
1: You know, there may there may be other perspectives. I don't I don't think it's open to interpretation. I mean, it's it's pretty clear when you look at statistics. You know, what's uh what's a you know medium size effect? What's a high size effect? Um, what's a, a coefficient that says it's good reliability? Um, th- those kinds of things. So I don't think there's much in dispute there. I think where the dispute comes is the the effect of um what, what what's what's actually married me- married what's actually measured, because you have with assessments normally you have a global scale. Which are your kind of like your big kind of umbrella uh, factors, uh, and then you have your your subscales, which are what make up um, what what that umbrella is. So it, it's a matter of I, I think oftentimes where the where the debate comes in. First off, one of the big debates is people say we don't like these ones where it's like four four quadrants, and it puts people into. A box and that's a valid concern i've seen other people do like a colby and a disc assessment uh, in groups and i've seen uh people come out of those saying we are worse off because that happened now we're starting to have conflict because you have people that you've got to, when you're when you're and that's a low stake situation that might be for team building looking at someone's productivity style where maybe you have people with big ideas and then someone shooting down those ideas and th- those kinds of things right low stakes situations on paper, but high stakes situations for, for the people involved. So with that, it really takes somebody who has a passion for that, for that particular low stakes, you know, I'll just call it a quadrant assessment. Um, somebody who's read the, the tech, technical manual. Even I have the tech technical manual for the, for the disc. It's actually, it's a good, ass- I mean, I, I, I've in the past used it for team building. I'm not sure I would use it anymore. Um, but you know, years and years ago, I made sure I knew the, the 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 technical manual extremely well, and I was able to really provide value to the to the people. But I kn- I knew my stuff, and I made sure that I knew it. I made sure that I studied under people who um, who knew what they were doing. You know, now I now my favorites are I know um, Sarah's. Is, oh, by the way, Sarah mentioned is Sarah here yet? I got two screens going on here. Sarah has a got caught up in a winter storm hopefully, she'll be able to, to jump on. Sarah Lutt likes the predict, predictive index. And I know that's kind of like one of the bigger, um, not a buzzword, but you know, it's the, the, one of the more common ones that, that I was looking at, the predictive index. I I like the Hogan and I like the, the 16 PF because there's so much there. These are more barrage assessments uh, where you can get all kinds of uh, like, like just with the Hogan, you can do personality, you can do development, you can do business reasoning. That'll, that'll take into consideration how one thinks in terms of critical thinking, strategic thinking, in terms of tactical thinking, you know, should someone, are we able to predict someone's behavior if they were, for example, to be on a a governing party of, of the organization, especially when you look at like family business governments, the governance, governance, those kinds of things. Um, but you also have personality inventory, you have values inventory um, development. So there's all kinds of different uh, things that can be looked into. And even with the 16 PF, so the 16 PF is a 16 personalities factors and just a little history. It was actually started with, uh, I think it was Raymond Cattell in the 1930s. He was doing work with, oh goodness, the guy who did Pearson's R, I I can't think of it now, working on a correlation matrix. And that test was first put out, published in 1949, something like 30 years before even the Big Five. But a lot of people that talk about the Big Five think that it's a copycat off of that when it's actually the other way around. So it's int- first off, it's notable to call out that isn't it, isn't it interesting the, uh, the things that people get excited about and debate about? it's just interesting to me because in general life, when we're not at work and we're not talking to our IO friends or our HR friends, people, you know, you might debate about the lawn or football and these kinds of things, but we like to talk about statistics and different personality (laughs) inventories. I I think it's, I I think it's uh, cool really just to, to, to put it that way. So there's a lot that, that goes into it. I, you know, and I'm always curious about I'm always curious, kind of switching gears for a second, about the in-house assessments uh, that, you know, you've got all these other organizations that are doing assessments. Some of them are providers, they're consultants, and they might use the Hogan or the 16PF or whatever it is, but they're also creating their own assessments and we're not oftentimes privy to them. And I'm always interested in, you know, what's the, the big difference between between those, the, the major companies that are using these, because they're usually using these for high high stakes situations, excuse me, high stakes situations. Hiring, firing, um, placement within an organization, and those kinds of things, Tom. You're muted. <laughs> Try to be quiet. Especially for some of the
2: younger professionals or those people who may be listening who are you know, still in post-secondary. Can you give me your top three, not which are the three that you consider the best, but which are the three that you've relied upon and have been the most effective in your career to this point?
1: The top three assessments? Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because it's a, it's a journey. You know, you start out as um, a younger practitioner who might not know as much, and you think things are great. We have all go through it. You know, it's before we, we start to gain that, that kind of a wisdom, and then we start to wrestle with ourselves. And just with complete complete and I thought about, you know, how do I approach this today? Because I have opinions, but I also have struggles. And just with full disclosure with the struggles, I've used the 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 disc for team development. Uh, I've used Colby for team development and orgs. The problem the problem is, especially with the Colby, it's based on something called your your cognitive measure. So you've got your thinking and then you have your cognitive, your thinking, and then you have your emotional aspect of your personality, right? Well, the Colby looks at something called conative, which is your preferred style of how you do things, your productivity style, whether you uh, do a lot of research, whether you show by doing, whether you're a quick start and uh, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, or, where you're, or whether you're uh, a planner uh, and a little more rigid for, you know, for good reason, um, and uh, how you are on, on the spectrum. And it's, in, it's interesting and there's value in that. And I haven't looked back at it since I did it, in, when, it when I was in corporate. So I can't speak to it, but I can say, I, you know, I liked, the, I liked the Colby. It provided a lot of insight and it provided a lot of good development tips. Again, with these assessments that are more colorful, more uh, put people in a box, it's worth looking at them and, and making a decision. Uh, just talk to people about it. What's their experience like? Make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure you look at the manuals uh, where you can, um, you know, if you have a test provider, you can get a, the manual to download. Um, you can also get these manuals and kind of like hard cover those things. And they're often anywhere from hundred to 200 pages. If they're not, you know, you probably probably don't, probably need to choose something else. I, I don't, I don't know. That's just my uh, raw take on that. But, um, I, I just personally like, and maybe it's cause I haven't been introduced to, to enough more to actually look into it because everyone believe you know, when you're in this world, everyone's trying to sell you an assessment and they want you to they look at our assessment and you have little time to do that. And then you think you're being sold. So you don't want to buy in. So it's kind of like, Tom, I use this analogy before. It's like you're, you're good. You go to a, a lake and you go fishing for the first time at that lake. And the guy says, you see a guy fishing, and he says, hey, you have to use the blue lures. They're the only ones that work to catch the fish. But he's only been using blue lures for 30 years, so he hasn't caught any. He hasn't even tried a new red lure. So you think, okay, I'll use the blue lure. You know, I think I'm a little bit stuck in that where I, I can spread my wings and start to look at other assessments. But, you know, I, I do like the, the Hogan. I do like the 16PF. Um... But it's also at the same time, Tom, it's kind of like when you, when you create a course, you put so much into it, you know how hard it is to completely change the textbook for a course you created. So it's that kind of thing. You know, you know so much about it and you've looked and you spent hours and hours and decades and centuries looking and using this. So you know it like, like you like, you know, your, your how to use your phone. It's hard to switch sometimes. So I'd be I'd be really interested to know what uh, what other people are, are using and what other people think.
2: Well, let's go to Linda-Ann. She's got her hand up. What color is your lure, Linda-Ann?
4: <laughs> I like the rainbow lure, you know. <laughs> my question is, is you know, and I remember this to some degree. You know, years ago, I, I was in a larger organization and they did the Myers-Briggs assessment and we had, you know, um, kind of a debriefing after that and, and so forth. Um, but my question is, is uh, an organization brings any assessment, whatever they choose in, and you go through and and, and provide them results and, and give them feedback. And, but two months from now, right? Is it just something that was kind of, you know, interesting and whatever? Where's the long-term effect of it? You know, how is it, um, how is the information integrated with the management to apply to their management processes and working with those individuals so that you see that there's an impact of it, you know, that they're using the data, that they're using the information. You know, how do IOs typically do that for an organization where they make some of the information worthwhile?
1: Generally for that, and I've got to run in three minutes, so I'm going to leave it up to the rest of the group to um, continue and how whatever fashion that you want to continue, uh, but to, Linda, and to answer your question, so you look at it, it depends. On, it depends on why it's being used. So if you're using it to see te- to look at team dynamics for a new team and see how it, a number might potential, so, that's probably a poor example, but it's a good enough example for now. Sometimes it is more just a one and done because it's a decision based. Right, you're looking at making a one time decision based on information. But when you're looking at, at it for, you know, your team development, generally you're looking at it if you're doing it, hopefully you're doing it with intact teams because you want the teams to be able to use these things. I mean, I've seen organizations where they'll put their, um, you know, their profiles on their, you know, you walk through an office building and they have them on their cubicle kind of thing. And it's an it's an interesting it's nice because it's an interesting point for conversation. Uh, uh, it adds a little clarity in terms of why someone might behave a certain way that the key is non judgment, really. And that's one of the, the main uh, negatives that can come out of these things if they're not done the right way, and you don't have the culture the right way, because there can be a lot of judgment. Oh, you fly by, you know, you 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 fly by the seat of your pants. You don't think you don't think enough through, and you probably have ideas that you haven't thought through, and you're poor at making business decisions. You know, that's not necessarily. So we can It's not judgment. The idea with these profiles is there's no wrong profile. There's development tips and different things, but you can't you can't look at anyone's profile. You gotta you have to when you do it in Intact Teams, you got the messaging has to be look at these and see how it can benefit your team. So if you're someone who flies by the seat of your pants, but guess what, your you know your coworker is very is very uh, planned out, very structured, is able to stick with the plan, poke holes in things and follow through. You know that that's the person who's going to save your butt that you better go to before you implement something and you say, hey, look, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I have laid out. Can you tear it up for me so I don't shoot myself in the foot? And that's, you know, so you you you're using your own strengths and, and someone else's strengths. Um so and again, just going back to and there's something called motivation by appreciation. It's by the um, the love languages. It's um the five, it's called the five languages of workplace appreciation. You know, you know, is that the most Psychometrically sound assessment that's going to hold up in court? No, but it's not supposed to be used for those purposes. It's for team building. It's to know how people are appreciated. You know, if if I'm an employee, am I will I be more impacted if my boss you know rolls up their sleeves and, and works with me, or will I be more impacted if I get a quiet recognition, good job, or a, a physical gift? It's how we respond. So there's there's value to that in your teams, and there's great discussion points. Uh, for that, and um, to go fully back to your point, uh, Linda Ann, I, you know, I, the last research that I looked into, you know, training, right? What is it? Training, eighty percent of time and resources just goes to, to waste. When you look in at training, it's just so bad. The but supervisor follow through accounts for seventy percent. Was the last that I saw. I'm sure that. The, of effectiveness of a trainer. So you've got to get supervisors in. And this isn't just for, you know, if you're doing a team assessment, but any, you know, if you're any kind of training that your employee is in, there should be follow-up. There should be consistent 15 minute meetings at least once a month, at least for six months. What did you learn? What can you show me? And that helps that person who is just learning the material actually teach the material and be, by teaching the material to their supervisor, they start to encode it differently through a process called elaborative rehearsal, which allows it it allows it to stick and turn that learning actually into into behavior change. Um, I'm gonna sign off, Tom. I'm gonna leave it in your capable hands and everyone. So thank you, everyone.
2: You're, you're not gonna un- sign off and we're all gonna get lost, are you?
1: <laughs> nope, I'm going to make you moderator and uh, where I have to go does not require my Zoom, so. All right. Lovely. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. Ariana, I saw you had
2: your hand up. You want to jump in here?
5: Yeah, sorry. It was um, a little bit earlier in the conversation. And I think that with psychometric assessments, you know, you asked Tom, what is that? So I think I want to back up and talk about like, what are psychometric assessments and what do we even mean? So I would say like the non-vernacular version is just us as behavioral psychologists, and consultants trying to measure what is in the psychological domain. And I think that because people often assume that that's not possible, that's where we get all of our psychometrics from. And when we say psychometrics and we're talking about statistics, I think it's also important to come back to like, what are we saying by statistics to your point? Like we can use statistics in a lot of ways, but how we prove this validity as we keep talking about is first defining our construct so like what are we trying to measure um so i actually use psychometric assessments but on a um, organization level in my role i help organizations assess their culture through psychometric assessments and so for my area the whole domain that we're measuring is ethical culture the extent to which there's like transparency in an organization organizational justice all these things that we talk about Um, But then there's all these individual domains as well. So the individual's personality characteristics, the individual's competency and skills. Um, And so then when we talk about applying, then it's very different as well. So like we're using it purely for selection. There's times with like the, the PI where you just take it on the onset. They look at your profile and then you're hired or not hired. And that may or may not be integrated into the culture at large. But what I was going to respond, sorry for that kind of long segue, but I think that's kind of helpful in like us thinking about what we're trying to talk about today. Um, To Linda Ann's, I really do like when organizations can leverage these, whether or not it's used in selection and then people carry their profile into work or whether or not you just use it for a team, for team development. Um, And I think it goes back to what Jeremy was saying around getting everyone involved and using it to understand where you are on these different categories. And I think that that can create team synergy, just like Jeremy was saying, um, by understanding where everyone's at and the strengths and weaknesses that are inherent in having any type of personality. So an example from my last role as a leadership consultant, we would bring a team of executives, give them all two or three personality assessments to get a wide range. We wouldn't just rely on one. And then this is one of the most simple but powerful exercises would be to do the line technique. So if we imagine any of these personality inventories often existing on a continuum of extroversion, introversion, um, being more supportive and wanting to be more of a follower, wanting to be more of a leader, and we'd have everyone take their personality scores on on each assessment subscale, we have them line up and like, go back and forth around the room on who's on which spectrum, who's in the middle. Okay, let's have these people over here talk about their strengths, talk about their frustrations. And then you have the people on the other side and you get this like cohesion that emerges out of this group they're like, oh, thank God we have like Diana over there in admin because God knows I could not do billing, (laughs) you know? And like, that's not something you might initially support. so yeah, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but those are just a few thoughts to throw out to the group.
2: Well, well, let me ask you this then, because boy, as an employee, or even if I was a CEO and you know, I'm in one of your groups, and you said to me, okay, now we're going to do an assessment. I start to feel judged even before the assessment. And then I've, you know, I've taken some of these assessments and quite often it's like, I have no idea why you're asking me that question. <laughs> and as you said, sometimes it's for consistency but I don't know that when I'm taking the test and you're asking all these strange questions and you're going to be assessing me about whether or not I should still have my job and it's like the stress of sometimes of doing these assessments. So how do you create a positive atmosphere that I feel (laughs) good taking taking these tests like it's going to help me?
5: Definitely. Well, I think like anything, communication in any organizational process is critical. So first, the the front end of the setup, why we're doing this, how results will be used, are the question, the answers to the individual questions themselves confidential, when you get your report, who will have access to your report. So oftentimes only the individuals will have access to their report and then we'll ask for permission to do aggregate reports so that like you can map where people are. But we never do that just on without that. And I'll be honest, it does come up. Actually, one more thing I'll say is, Also the debrief is important. So what we did is we would do these assessments, communicate on the front end, but also do a one-on-one debrief that was usually an hour long. So you could go with the individual, they could talk about their concerns. And then debriefing, I realized in practice of doing this time and time again, is that actually really deescalates. People feel, after a good debrief, people feel very seen actually they'll be like actually so in comparison do you do you feel like like you have these traits and is this sometimes a challenge people are like yeah that's so me you know and um <laughs> and so and I have had people I had one guy come in and I was in this like n- I was flew to Raleigh to one of our headquarters I Was in, like this nice office with windows and this guy comes in he's like I feel like this is like Office space. Have you seen that movie? You know, am I about to be fired? (laughs) (laughs) People come in with these fears and they think like you're like about to see into their soul. And if you don't like what they see, then they'll be out the door. And I think that just creating that sense of psychological safety and room for vulnerability allows us to kind of break down these barriers of not having ourselves fully seen at work or being able to show up in our full personality. It's really the opposite of getting them to know that so great to see their strengths and we just want to leverage them more.
2: Thank you for that. Amanda Ray, let's go to you.
3: One thing I was going to say in the chat that would have been a little too lengthy was that your state's psychology board can also define client in a very specific way Um, and the practices that are adhered to within your state can also impact that. So in my state um we have got a group of us that get together on a monthly basis um and it was actually a point of conversation of about client definition and it's really came down to who initiated the request because then that initiation of the request can impact um confidentiality and privacy so for instance um If a full office was to request this as a part of their office training, then we let the office and everybody know up front that the office is considered the client, meaning that your assessment results will be shared with the team as a whole for the entire, for the intent of team building versus if one person were to come to me for a request or if it was an open enrollment learning opportunity that people were uh, taking an assessment that's attached to it where then that stuff is their private information. Um, but we have found that practices within your regional or local community can also dictate and impact how that privacy is impacted. And if like she was saying, if you set it up at the beginning and you yourself can model that vulnerability trust um, in creating that safe environment, you can help in easing individuals. Um, and I also have found with other assessments, it's best to preface that trying to take these assessments, especially if are trying to get at the heart of an individual of whom they are when they're in the, their best self, their most natural self, is to give them some guiding tips. Don't do it After you've had an argument with your spouse, there's a spillover effect. You're going to read into things differently. Don't do it when you're sleep deprived. Don't do it when you're hangry. Make certain that you are feeling the best that you can feel because the assessments, they're prone to human error, both from the individuals that have created it, in addition to those that take it. And that is the one thing about that debrief after the assessments are, are just so vital because it can aid in creating clarity on on if something happened to go haywire, so to speak. Because there's been times in which I've had single one-on-ones where folks have taken assessment and they're like, this is not me at all. I'm like, okay, so tell me about that day before you took the assessment. What was going on? What happened? And then I find that they had a big argument. They didn't eat. Their child kept, kept them up all night. I'm like, did you feel like you were yourself that day? No. Well, Let's, let's give you some time. Let's come back to it in a month, and you can try the assessment again if you'd like to continue forward, you know, for developmental purposes.
2: At, at the same time, can these assessments be used poorly, or can they be used in unethical ways? Oh, re- absolutely. Yeah, because the reason I'm asking is having taught in post-secondary, you know, every term there's student evaluations, mm-hmm. And the, the idea is that as an instructor, it gives you a chance to reflect, see what mm-hmm. perhaps where, but I always found myself, you know, my, my student assessments were always high. They were, they were, you know, mm-hmm. 80% fours and fives. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was very little that I could learn from those assessments. I never got any pat on the back from mm-hmm. administration going, wow, you've got incredible numbers. Your assessments are really good, but I did see them use those assessments to punish other instructors who did not get good results from their students, and sometimes, you know, to be honest, it was the instructor. But sometimes mm-hmm. that's a complicated situation, and it can yeah. be classroom dynamics. So, how do we prevent organizations from misusing this information?
3: Staying vigilant, stay. Especially if you're in house, um, I have the uh, I have the ability to be in house. So when I hear something that's going haywire. Because I've already built a rapport with the clients, I have no issues um, helping them take corrective action in changing their course. And this is more of an issue with supervisors and managers that may start misinterpreting, misusing the um, results that they get from a client, uh, from a team request. And it's like, no, that wasn't the intent of it. So um, now it's not at my current place where I work, but at a prior place where I worked, where we use like StrengthsFinder individuals were using it misappropriate um, in how to put people together um, and had to address that, um, where it is more of, if you're trying to look at how, it's more about aligning tasks that match with the individual's innate strengths. And if they don't have it, then you learn to partner people together that have the strengths that are both needed for that task at hand, because it's cross-collaborative Ability and it gives them also the stretch room to uh, interpersonally grow and to uh, develop rapport within the team by having people work together. Um, But it's, yeah, no, things can certainly be used um, inappropriately. And I think that's where we need to make sure that we are 100% clear with those that are the managers and supervisors, especially within those team dynamics that we're clear about what the intent of the instruments are. Um, Because a lot of those team building instruments are also intended for individuals that may be of uh, a more healthy mindset, uh, because certain instruments may may pick up on mental illness, and it can then impact the interpretation within the workforce of how they're used. So it's just needing to be very very cautious with the supervisors and being very clear that this is the only application you go beyond this, you're opening yourself for possible ramifications of it. And the big thing I often reference is um, if you start misusing it, it could go all the way to your retention numbers go down because you're miss. So you get to like that business impact of this is meant for engagement, don't misuse it because then you could get people disengaged and might lose some of your workforce.
2: <laughs> Sometimes I feel it's a little bit like going, here's your new superpower. Don't misuse it. Linda, <laughs> let's go to you.
4: Um, And this goes, this goes to uh, Amanda Ray when, cause one of my, like one of my concerns, you know, and this was kind of reflected in my question to, to Jeremy and in the situation that she just mentioned, you know, it sounded to me like they that you had a long-term or an ongoing relationship with that organization so that, you know, you could identify that the information was being misused and things like that. And so how long and and to what degree do you follow up on uh, your relationship with the company after implementing the assessment so that you can evaluate if the information is being used properly or not? Because, you know, I'm unclear about how um, IOs really integrate with a company to make sure that what they do has a, a lasting effect and, again, isn't misused. What does that relationship look like to make sure that, that things are taken care of properly?
3: I think that's going to depend on the organization um, and how IOs or even um, individuals that are in a similar role are structured within the system itself. Um, I'm currently, I'm within an office where we have uh, development requests that come in and we are structured where I have uh, the ability to work with everybody within our state. Um, and I've traveled within our state for that work. And when I have established a working relationship with individuals, I will do a periodic check-in. I will just throw a check-in on their calendar saying, hey, I just want to check in, seeing how progress is going. And what I find is A lot of these requests that we get, just like a lot of training that people come and take, is that it's a flavor of the month kind of thing. And our office is trying to get away from that. So the impact was was negligible. Um, And if that's the way in which they chose to use the instrument for a episodic team development, that's their choice. And that was their choice to not utilize the funds from like the work hours and the effort and the investment that was put forth to not continue the use of it because we cannot force anybody to do anything. We can provide guidance and assistance, but that's, and then if I find that people in during those check-ins are still continuing to use it or they want to continue to use it because there's one office that I check in with probably on an annual basis where they're continuing to tinker and they're continuing to use it, but it's really helped just create more of a common language for them, that it's more of the supervisor that's seeking the guidance of working with a new, a new person that they have that has come on board. So they want this new person to take that assessment to know where, how do they fit into the team and how can this supervisor help this individual become a part of the cohesive team while they're going through that new norming, storming, forming phases. But I think, I really think the organizational structure will impact what we can and cannot do as IOs. Does
2: that answer your question, uh, Linda Ann?
5: Yeah, I'll just add to that too, if you don't mind, Linda. Sure, yeah. I, I wanna, I think I agree with what's been said. Um, I think a part of my journey, talking about an assessment that I took once was through this framework called positive intelligence. And it shows us what our self-sabotaging characteristics are. I recommend you take a look um but my top one is controller um which means i really like there to be a high level of just like assurance and the plan moving forward and i want people to use things the way i want them to use them and all of these things um so my my new year's resolution is just radical acceptance and i think this is something that we have to practice a lot as ios is we'll go in sometimes and do huge culture assessments with places that sometimes have toxic cultures will identify their top areas of opportunity. And the reality is sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes we come back two years later and we reassess them and they're at the same place. And I think that's true across the board is like, we have to think of these as tools and we're trying to give people resources. And I think that there is incremental insight and self-awareness that we gather through these instruments as well. We're sometimes taking one today gives us insight that if we take something different or the same three years from now as planted a seed. So I think it's kind of a balance of trying to do the best we can while also letting go of what's not in our control.
2: Uh, let me ask you this because I, I was interviewing I.O. Oh, on the weekend. Uh, we're, we're putting together a little series, especially for people who are uh, especially just in finishing school or just new into the industry and, and trying to break in, getting advice from people who are established. One of the things she mentioned that helped her break in was being contacted by people who had companies basically going, I've got a problem. Can you come in and either create an assessment or do an assessment and tell me what's going wrong because I'm losing employees? Is that a great place for young IOs to start? Because at the same, like I'm sitting here going, yeah, that'd be a great place. At the same time, if I was hiring that person, I might want somebody with 20 years experience. So is it great? Is it a good entry point for young IOs? Or do you want to leave assessments to maybe a few years out when you've got some experience? Um, Ariane, go ahead.
3: I, I'm yeah. sorry, but... I'm okay, vigorously shaking my head no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
5: was going to say it's like it really depends like such a classic answer. I, I would say taking an individual I.O. who's fresh out of school, I think they're going to be a little bit overwhelmed. And I think that overwhelm at an organizational scale. Um, even what I do, I mean, I have a small team, but it takes a team. And with any organizational wide initiative, there's a lot of stakeholders involved. We often work with HR and communications and chief ethics and compliance officers and the IT team. Like, so <laughs> I think it's all about scope and magnitude and, um, and ha- whether or not there's any team support of people who have done it before.
2: What do you say on that, Amanda, right?
3: Well, you would, you, you don't know what you don't know. And when individuals come fresh out of school, out of uh, thinking that their book knowledge is enough. um, That's a great starting point, but when they're looking for experience, I really think that they need to start with a smaller system. So maybe start with a team or an office to, to start getting a taste of what is within there, especially if they're, because again, I, you could pro based on your, um, state you're in, you could be an IO at a master's level. You could be an IO at a um, PhD level. Our state doesn't even recognize IO psychologists. I can't call myself a psychologist on paper because that's only for clinicians and counselors. Um, So we can call ourselves psychologists in my state verbally, but not on paper. I have to be an IO psychological practitioner in our state. So, um, but because uh, you're just starting to gain your foot in. And if your background is at a master's level, you're really just starting to hit the tip of the iceberg and you haven't gained an idea of that systematic impact uh, that an organization can have. And you're only looking at this, it's the individual. You can do more harm than good. And a part of what the work we do is do no harm or minimize the harm that we can do. So, It's knowing your limitations of practice. So if you're coming in brand new as an IO, you have to acknowledge your stuff. I don't know. And then possibly then look at, okay, so where do I start? Start with one-on-one coaching. Start learning what can impact a person through experience. Go then into a more of a bigger team dynamic. Um, My biggest recommendation for brand new IOs is go in-house first. Get be able to get a breadth of everything within your area that you want to practice and then go out of house. Take the knowledge that you've learned and then go out of house if you want to be an independent. But going independent and taking on a full company at once, you could harm your reputation from the get-go.
2: Yeah, I very, very say true. That
5: sometimes being an external consultant can also be a great place to start, but it's usually through like a fellowship, you know, an associate role and not taking on everything self so-
2: <laughs> or maybe your dad owns a business, and <laughs> Linda, let's go to you.
4: So, um, you know, I am trying to look at this from the implementation within an organization to maximize any impact and effect. And so, is there a way or some processes that, if an organization is looking to do some assessments, that they should processes that they should take or procedures that they should take to prepare the organization um, appropriately so that there's the most receptivity and um, educated consumption of the, the assessment. In other words, in a, instead of just saying, okay, mark your calendars, you know, next Wednesday, we're all doing this assessment. And then you go, well, what the hell is this? And you know, and why are we doing this? And they're spending all this money, you know, so is there a way or do you have a typical process that is used to prepare a company to engage in this in, a, in a, an effective way?
2: Yeah, that is a great question, Linda, and because I've been the person going through that process where, and it wasn't just next Wednesday, we're all doing the assessment. It's you have to have the assessment done by next Wednesday or you're in trouble. Like (laughs) if that's the way it was handled in the organization I was with. So so how do we prepare organizations? You know, let's throw that out to the floor. Anybody jump in who wants to, uh, you know, I would have loved that situation if, not only if there'd been some time taken before the assessment to really bring me up to speed about why these assessments were being done. But then once again, with my experience, there was no follow-up. Amanda Ray, over to you.
3: All right. I feel like I'm monopolizing, (laughs) but, uh, there, (laughs) I think it always starts with the top down. You have to have the top set the tone, set the tone at the top. The top sets the tone. They have to model what it is as expected and come up with a solid communication plan from the get-go. Um, In a recent office-wide initiative I've been working on, there's someone that has just kind of set a practice in precedence that I heard that we're going to start taking on within our uh, taking it um, agency-wide. But it's if you set up a communication strategy where it is that you're constantly filtering information that, hey, this big and this comprehensive large needs analysis is coming where it's not just a, a task level analysis, but it's also an engagement. So we can be able to pinpoint where the buck stops um, from the get-go and then identify the next two years worth of uh, action deliverables, great. But you need to be able to set them up and, it was done in such an effective manner where slide decks were put together in abbreviating where we are at in the process, what is coming, seeking feedback. Because, again, if you're able to get participative feedback, it increases the motivation and engagement. Even if you don't take all of the feedback, there was feedback that I told them that we can't take for legitimate reasons, because if we change this question, it's no longer measuring um, self-efficacy. We can't change that question, but it lets the employee voice be heard, meaning that they'll at least be a bit more inclined to not stick their heels in the mud when you say no, because you've allowed their voices to be heard. So make sure it's a very collaborative process. You start at the top and go down and you have a solid communication plan put in advance. And and by in advance, I don't mean a week in advance. I mean, if you think something's going to be coming, in two months, start getting excitement, start building some excitement for it a month, maybe two months in advance saying, hey, we're going to be doing this. Just an FYI, make certain that your team is going to have the bandwidth and the time allowed to do this assessment. And then say, okay, we're coming up. It's in a month. Make sure that you do. Just making certain that the communication is constant because then when, it, when you're then at the implementation of the instrument, then you can get that percentage that is above the 20 percent of <laughs> voluntary surveys that you're hitting a better mark because right now we're hitting almost 60 70 percent and that and I and I've congratulated the woman that's been helping with the communication plan because there's a lot of excitement behind this initiative
2: that that is great to hear um Ariana let's go to you next and then Brittany over to you
5: yeah absolutely um, I'll be honest we we don't We have kind of a middle ground with the way we do our ethical culture assessments. Um, In reality, I think with a lot of large companies, it's a big push to do one CEO announcement, um, to do one announcement during a town hall, or we call them in the no sessions, you know, whatever your company's weekly meeting is. So typically, what we do in best practices is we do one CEO announcement, we do encourage that leaders talk about it. And then we translate that announcement into all of the global languages that people are taking the assessment in. And that is kind of the only way that we do announce it, though, to everyone's point, I would say the more communication, the better. And we do, to Amanda's point, we do sometimes see low participation rates, and that does happen. And it is kind of stressful as an external consultant when that's the case, and there's only so much you can do. And then we often provide leadership talking points and say, Try to go to all your leaders, encourage their teams to do it. Um, but it is kind of a challenge um, to get to get the communication, balancing the, the how busy everyone is, getting them to take the survey. It's highly valuable, but it does take a coordinated effort.
2: Yeah, I bet it does. Uh, Brittany, let's go to you.
6: So
5: I very nearly lost a
6: contract last year because I screwed up one of these things. We were at the tail end of presenting. Um, we presented results to executives. They loved it. They wanted us to present to leaders and then the rest of the staff, which was hourly staff. So leadership presentation went great. But when it came to hourly staff, the partner that I was presenting with, we did not communicate well enough about what leadership um, behavior in that room should be. Um, Because they shouldn't have really been participating um, much. And what ended up happening is we had the leader stand at the front of the room with my partner when he was presenting. And he stood like a prison warden against the wall. And it looked like what we were delivering was like a punishment or discipline even though the words didn't reflect that and there were feelings the hourly employees had toward that specific leader that weren't great. And it crashed and burned and um, jeopardized the whole project because I screwed that up.
2: Ouch. Um, (laughs) Let me ask you too, Brittany, because you've been really active in the chat. Thank you very much for that. And I've seen there's been a lot of great conversation. One thing that I've noticed is that when we approach business, we have to talk about assessments in a language that they'll understand. So have you had experience with that? And like, like, how do you cross that bridge?
6: Um, in my experience, leaders like to feel smart. So they do kind of like when you use the big words. But when we're rolling out to everyone, especially when it's remote, um, we will pair a video from us with some kind of like supportive um, words from the CEO and it actually gets emailed from the CEO, but our three goals is that they feel excited to take it. Uh, they're motivated to click the link, you know, to take the assessment or whatever that next step is that we want them to do. And that they will think this is how it's going to make my work better, my work experience
5: better.
2: And with that, I see that we're getting very close to the top of the hour. Uh, So let's just do a little bit of a a round circle here. Um, Linda Ann, Arianda, and Amanda Ray, I'm going to come to you guys for some, maybe some final thoughts on assessments and their true value, or or what's the most important thing that you've heard today that you want to sort of reiterate? Linda Ann, let's go to you first.
4: Well, I really appreciate the, the candor and the explanation for a lot of what Psychometric assessments are and what they are not, and how they can be implemented successfully, um, or you can increase your uh, opportunity for it to be implemented successfully. Um, so, I, I really appreciate that. And it, it's created a, a greater understanding for me of what the real value is and how I could utilize that in any other organization. You know, um, I know there was one other point I meant to make. And, it's escaped me. So I really appreciate those, those all the information that was shared to me today because it's really created some clarity
2: for how they're best used. True. Ariana.
5: I think in close, I would just like to say that assessments are fabulous. They can create a lot of insight. What we measure, we focus on. It's kind of iconic in that way. But as IOs, we have the duty and responsibility to make sure that we are providing valid assessments that can be used well and doing the right prep to make sure that they're used effectively.
2: And Amanda Ray.
3: I'm just going to build off of Ariana's because that's a really solid way to put it. Um, And to make sure that you make some sort of practical um, connection to what it is that this can be used for and implemented for within the workplace, because... uh, That's really what, at the end of the day, those taking the assessments are often looking for, is how can I use this information?
2: Yeah, great advice. Uh, Well, thank you very much, everybody. Great discussion today, uh, as we have every Thursday. Uh, So, you know, please use your voice, share the news and information about the community. Uh, Have other people join us here as well and spread the word about our Thursday get togethers. Uh, With that, everybody, thank you very much. And we're going to call an end in five, four, three, two, one. Thanks for listening to
0: this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S E B O C.com to engage with our community gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at CBot.com.